0: All right, good morning, Crossway. Thank you for that. <laughs> How many of you guys have siblings uh, in this room? Just maybe a raise of hands. Yeah? One, two, three, four. You know, siblings can be such a blessing, right, in our lives. You know, here's a picture of me and my brother when we we're younger. And uh, as you can tell, we're not too far removed from moving to America from Korea, right, by the way we look. And, you know, if you have siblings, you know, they can be such a blessing, right? Maybe they were an older brother or sister that taught you how to throw a ball or ride a bike, right? Maybe they taught you how to read, about street smarts, about finances, investing, taught you how to interview for a job. Maybe they are like your best friend, and uh, you're the only person like you are today because of them. And that is all great. But if we could just really be honest, um, as much as they can be a blessing, they can be like so annoying. Amen? Don't say amen too loud. Your sibling might be right next to you. But, I mean, that's the reality of it, right? As much as they have been such a blessing, like you can literally in a minute become your worst nightmare or enemy. I still remember me and my brother. I'll never forget this. We fought for about three hours straight. It was like a physical wrestling and a punch kind of fest. And it started because we were playing Street Fighter together. And you know, I kept beating him because I'm just better, right? And so we were playing, playing, and you could tell he just, you know, visibly getting angry. And then at one point, he just knocks the controller out of my hand. So that's a no-no, right? Like the older brother just cannot just let that go. So then we started wrestling. And we started fighting. He was pushing back. And then, you know, I had him pinned down. And I'm laughing and I'm pushing him down. And then he goes away. He brings a back. So I'm running around the house trying to avoid him. And, you know, and then it continues on. And then finally we were wrestling again. And we wrestled for so long that we just fell asleep. Like the fight ended because we just fell asleep. We were just so tired. You know, siblings can have such a deep affection. It can be such an encouragement in your life. Paradoxically, at the same time, they could lead to even deep hatred. We can laugh about maybe sibling rivalries, but as we look at our passage, and maybe it's a familiar one to you about Cain and Abel, the first two brothers on earth, a relationship that sadly ended in the first homicide in history. This morning, what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be looking at chapter four of Genesis to glean some very valuable lessons from this sibling rivalry that is so much more than just a story about two brothers. So, we're gonna have three points this morning. So, if you're taking notes, you can just write them and just follow along. The first one is this the unacceptable offering. Take a look at verse one with me. It says this this is the word of God. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Scholars speculate at this point that they could have been twins. It's from the literary description. Hard to say for sure, but really doesn't have much bearing, so let's keep reading on. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, meaning some time had passed, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. What I want you to notice is that both of their sacrifice offerings were very fitting considering their profession or work responsibilities. Just so I can kind of easily kind of present it to you. Just take a look at this graph, okay? So Abel was a a keeper of the sheep. And so it's fitting for him to bring... Sheep for the sacrifice. Cain, he worked the ground, so he brings fruit. Both Cain and Abel brought what was fitting from their responsibilities, but so here is the most interesting part. We read, it says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Interesting. God looked on favor on Abel, not with Cain. So the most interesting question presents itself here. Why was Cain's rejected and Abel's accepted? Right? When looking at their profession, it was very fitting. Do me a favor. I want you to turn to the person next to you. Hopefully they're your friend or someone you know. If you don't know them, introduce yourself. And just speculate. Why was Abel's accepted and Cain's not? Do you mind sharing just a few thoughts? Go ahead. All right, for the sake of time, uh, I'm just going to start delving into the answer instead of asking. Scholars have suggested actually a number of different reasons why Abel's sacrifice was better than Cain's. This is from Leon Morris' his commentary. He says this, and this is one of the speculations, right? Abel's was living, right? whereas Cain's was lifeless. Or maybe Abel's was stronger, Cain's was weaker. Abel's grew spontaneously, Cain by human ingenuity. Maybe Abel because it involved blood. Cain's did not. So many scholars have tried to dissect the differences in the actual offering itself. But the hard part is that the text does not clearly tell us why, right? Did God just prefer meat instead of vegetables and fruits, right? Right? That resonates with some of us here, right? Give me an amen if you prefer right, Brazilian barbecue over soup plantation, right? right? That's like amen. That's like 100%. Is that the reason? Well, why the rejection? What was the problem? See, this is where knowing the totality of Scripture is very helpful. If you look at Hebrews 11.4, it tells us why. All right. So if you look at 11.4, it says this. By faith... Just underline that word. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. So, what was the distinguishing difference between Cain and Abel's sacrifice? Why was one accepted and one rejected? Well, simply put, one gave in faith and one did not. Abel... In faith, offered his sacrifice, and Cain did not. See, one of the biblical foundations of our faith is that our faith in Christ must precede works to be accepted. Because if you read Hebrews eleven six, it'll shoot up on the screen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. My brothers and sisters, what we do is important. Yes. But why we do it is so much more important to God. You know, there was a very popular Christian song that came out my freshman year in college. It was this song, Heart of Worship by Matt Redman. Do you guys, anyone love this song? I, I love this song. Okay. It's like when the music thing is all stripped away. I mean, it was, it was the bomb, right? It, it was sung everywhere, right? Every service right, every campus ministry, if the drummer started playing too loud, it was like, hey, 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 quiet down, all right, everyone, it just voices on me, all right, when the music fades, right, it was like, I mean, and the reason why it was so popular is because the truth of that song was so powerful, real, and necessary because worship, and you and I know this, it resonates with us, it's more than the outward action and sacrifice. Like when the song says, I'll bring you more than a song, like that makes sense to us. Yeah, worship isn't just some outward thing that I do. Because friends, we know this, right? On the outside, the sacrifice of offering of worship can look very similar. And one will be pleasing to God and one will not. Based on what Compels us to do it. See, faith, our trust in God, must be foundational to any good work. Faith precedes good works. Faith gives birth to anything that we do in the name of our God. And Abel came that way, and so Hebrews eleven four tells us that's why it was the acceptable sacrifice. You know, it's interesting. The Bible calls this certain lack of faith life as the way of Cain. If you look at Jude, it only has one chapter, so it's Jude 11 or 11. This is, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. It literally became a terminology. A commentator describes the way of Cain as a rebellious heart clothed by religious rituals, of self-righteousness and good deeds, right? The way of Cain is, if I do this and that, God, like, you better be happy, right? But the Bible constantly reminds us that God cares about why we do what we do. In Matthew 23, 27, This is woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The way of Cain. In Isaiah 29, 13, not just the New Testament, the Old Testament, it says this, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know, in the Daily Bread, there was a story of a company. They put out an instant cake mix and it was a big flop. The instructions said all you had to do was to add water to the mixture and bake. And the company didn't understand, because it was so simple, why it didn't sell. Until their research discovered that the buying public, check this out, the buying public felt uneasy about the mix, that it only required water, right? Apparently, people thought it was too easy. So this is what the company did. Based on their research... The company altered the formula, and the directions now called for adding an egg to the mix in addition to the water. It sounds silly, but the idea worked, and the sales jumped dramatically. You know, this story reminds me of how we sometimes as humanity can sometimes react to the plan of salvation. Maybe it sounds too easy and simple to be true, right? Even though the Bible tells us by grace you have been saved through faith, it's a gift of God, not by your works, right? We can feel that there must be something more we must do, something that we must add to God's recipe for salvation, that we must perform good works to gain God's favor. But unlike the cake mix distributor and manufacturer, God does not change his formula to make salvation more marketable. See, if we're not careful, we can fall into these bad assumptions. If we sing loud enough, maybe the length of our prayers, the mouth of our tithe, right? Like next week, let's say, look, I want you to obviously give a large portion. That'd be great. But if you think that if I just bring more that God should love me more, you are falling into the misconception of what pleases God. And it's this sort of self-righteousness and pride that offends the cross because it takes pride in our goodness and our abilities over our weaknesses and our brokenness and our very need of a Savior. You see, this first portion, the story of Cain and Abel, first shows us that it is far better to gain God's approval through faith and lose your physical life like Abel, than to have God reject you and you lose your soul for eternity. So what about for us? This is a heart check. Do we just go through the motions? Or maybe are we getting caught up in religious tasks without our hearts drawing close to him? We have to check our motives because religiosity is nothing if not tied to a faith in Christ. So that's point one. Point two is Cain's reaction. So I want you to go to verse five. It says this. Before Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Cain was offended and got very angry. This word angry in Hebrew means to blaze or to grow hot. So this is not simple like slight irritation. He was furious that God accepted Abel, but not him. Maybe he thought it was unfair. Right? Why accept Abel's and not mine? Well, in verse 6, read with me, it says this. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. This was a pivotal moment in Cain's life. His soul hung in the balance. Because God warns Cain to root out the sin in his life. Like, God doesn't sugarcoat it. He calls out the sin that is at the door, that is brewing in his heart and soul. And he says, if if you don't master this, it's going to destroy your life. And Cain, instead of taking responsibility, repenting and getting right with God, he does not follow in faith. He continues in sin and kills his brother. Why? Well, once again, The totality of scripture is very helpful. In 1 John 3.12, speaking of Cain and Abel, it says this. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. See, John is cluing us in that the reason why was because he wanted to blame Abel. Because he compared. His anger turned from God to Abel because he was comparing the sacrifices. And he thought to himself, like, why are you better than me? You know, sometimes comparing is very helpful. This is why as parents we would say something like, you know, you better eat that. You know how many people are starving in Africa? How many of you guys use that, right? It's like a comparison to be very helpful, Right? Like this happened with our kids because uh, when uh, my two daughters, we have three, but our older ones, when Maddie and Riley were six and four, me and my wife got an opportunity to go to Japan for missions. And so we took our kids. So we got to spend a good amount of time with these missionaries from Ohio. They were the Harringtons. So I have a little picture here. You can kind of take a look. Beautiful family, five kids. So we got to spend a lot of time and we got to really, we hit it off. He loved football. I love football. So we're like chit-chatting, talking. And so we just clicked. So on the second to last night of our missions trip, we were there for three weeks. They invited us over for dinner. And our kids got pretty close. I mean, this is another picture. They were saying goodbye. You can see the kids crying. and I mean, it was just, it was beautiful to see my kids just being able to see a different life because this wasn't like Tokyo, Japan. This is Shiogama. It's kind of the countryside. And what was interesting about that night is when we had dinner. You know, they even like uh, made a like a little play. The kids and so they presented it, and so it was just a good time. But as we went home, one of the things that we started to realize was that our kids got to compare their life with the life of these missionaries. In Shio Japan. Because they were saying stuff like this. Because their five kids, they sleep in the same room in a 20 by 20 square foot room. Five kids. So my, my kids were like shocked. They're like, they all sleep in this room. You know, they were like, where's the blankets? And I was like, well, they put the blankets away in Japan and then they take them out. And, you know, so we're doing that. You know, the missionaries they didn't have as much money, and so actually one of their hallways, there was a big hole, because I guess they had a water leak, but they just couldn't afford to fix it, and so there was just a big hole. So the kids were like, Why is there a big hole? (laughs) Right? (laughs) And they were saying stuff like, you know, you know, Abba, why why is their house so much smaller than ours? And you know, I got to share, right, and compare. And I was telling them stuff like, you know. Not everyone can just walk into Target and buy whatever they want. And it was a life-learning lesson, right, comparison. And it was really powerful. Because there's a beautiful reality that hits home when you're able to compare. So not all comparison is bad, but it's a very dangerous game because most of the time when we compare ourselves to others, it ends up becoming like this. How come we don't have enough? Why aren't we getting what we deserve? Because a lot of times comparison, although it could really be a catalyst for encouragement and growth, it becomes a catalyst for jealousy, anger, and coveting. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? At the end of the parable, Jesus brings the older brother into the story who compared himself to how the younger one was being treated. You see, God recognizes that this sin of jealousy, anger, and coveting was brewing, and it was about to master Cain. So God comes to ask and plead that he get right with God. And sadly, instead of mastering it, it masters him, and we know the story. Sin was at the door, and Cain lets it in. I want to pause and just kind of let you know that Cain was a broken man that the Bible describes as um, evil. The way of Cain, a description of the life of sin apart from God. So that's point two. We see. This contrast between these brothers. But here's the coolest part. Point three. We see God's offer of grace and mercy. Look at verse seven with me. It says this. If you do well, will you not be See, God does not come back to Cain and demand the right kind of sacrifice. In fact, you don't see God's wrath here. You see God call gently for Cain to repent and to be accepted. To fight off the sin that's at the door and to turn to God. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Even this broken man, Cain. Friends, God accepts even the worst of sinners. God accepts even the biggest mistakes. God accepts the dirtiest of hearts. He accepts shameful pasts. And God accepts those that have lived apart from him. Because our God is an awesome God full of grace and mercy. Amen? His hand extends even to Cain. And this shouldn't shock us because his hand extends to you and I. Because we are so messed up in our own way, apart from God. Because this is our story. It could be called the way of John or the way of Steve. Apart from God, apart from a saving faith in Christ. Christ we are headed to damnation. See, God did not want Cain's downcast face to remain downcast. He's saying, lift up your face, look at me, I love you. Repent and turn to me. You can change the trajectory of your life. Your history does not have to be your destiny. I want you to look at verse 14. This is shocking to me. So at this point, Cain kills Abel, okay? Cain is confronted by God, and Cain's like, oh, I don't, know. I don't know. Where's my brother? I don't know. Right? So he does that whole thing, right? And then check out what God says, right? In verse 14, Cain speaking. He says, behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hid. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. This is Cain speaking. So there's guilt. He recognizes what he does. And he's saying, you know, some of them should just kill me too, because that's what I deserve. This is what God says. He says, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Isn't that so interesting? Like, why would God even promise this? Like, literally makes no sense. What should have happened is what? Fire and brimstone come down, you burn, right? Like, that's more fitting to the story. Why even promise this, God? Well, I believe it's because even here, even after this heinous act of killing his brother, God is still pursuing Cain. Hoping that he will turn to him. Even after killing Abel, I believe he could have turned to God and been accepted. Because God is a God who extends his hand to the even most heinous acts of sin and brokenness. I love what Kevin DeYoung says. He says this, Jesus was a friend of sinners not because he winked at sin, ignored sin, or enjoyed lighthearted reverie with those who engaged in immorality. Jesus was a friend of sinners in that he came to save sinners and was very pleased to welcome sinners who were open to the gospel, sorry for their sins, And on their way to putting their faith in him. Isn't that beautiful? You see, the story of Christianity is that people that are broken, repentance is always an option. And the father runs after the prodigal son who returns. Why do we need to have a church building in Orange County? Let me tell you why. Because there are broken people, lost Prodigal songs all over the place, North and South O.C., neighbors, friends, people dropping off kids that you know that are headed for eternal damnation, and God loves them, and is extending his hand and saying, if you would just repent, you're welcome as my son. You know, there is the, this guy named Alice Cooper. Do you guys know who this is? For you young people, you're like, who? Who's that? Well, he was a famous rocker uh, back in, you know, I guess, late 70s, 80s. And um, lived, a, you know, a, a crazy, sinful life of vices, doing crazy things on stage. Some people thought he was demonic he is a a born-again Christian. So kind of late in life, came to know Jesus. And he shares how people that knew him, they thought it was fake because they were like, you, Jesus? No way. And he shares his testimony of how no one is too far from the grace of God. I love what he says. I want to just read you kind of a snippet from an interview he did. And he says this. I knew that there, was, there had to either come to a point in my life where I either accepted Christ and started living that life or I would die. And I was in a lot of trouble. And that really motivated me. I don't think we accept Christ. I think we accept the fact that he accepted My friends, my brothers and sisters, maybe there's even some of you in this room. You've been coming to church, maybe as a religious task. Offering a sacrifice of grain, of fruit, thinking this should be good. God should be happy with this. And God is looking at you and saying, I love you so much. I wish you would just wake up. You see, this story of God not accepting Cain, at first glance, I kind of felt bad for Cain. How about you? You're like, bro, you're the first son. I mean, it's not like all these people had, like, an example to follow. Like, hey, you made a mistake. That kind of sucks. He accepted your little brother, not yours. I mean, yeah, as an older brother, like, I kind of understand that, right? Right? And my heart kind of went out to him. But the more I dug into this, I started to realize that Cain was walking in a way apart from God. And it was an opportunity for God to wake him up and to say, hey, this is your chance. I want to let you know I love you. Would you just come to me? Don't let the idea of my love for you, you being my son, be some idea that your father taught you about. But let it be personal. And I'm going to use this opportunity. And maybe it seems unfair to you. But this is going to be the time when your life hangs in the balance. But know that I'm right next to you. And the reason why I bring this up is because some of us are going through something right now. And it's very pivotal. But I want you to know that God does not do anything by accident. And maybe this is the wake-up call for you to turn to him in faith, to walk away from the life of Cain and to walk in faith in pleasing him. My brothers and sisters, all it takes is for us to recognize that we need him, to turn to him, to repent and to say, God, would you take my life and let it be yours? The world around me, maybe they're walking in the way of Cain. Jesus, I want to walk in faith. May that be our life, our testimony. May that be Crossway's legacy for our youth, for our first steps, as parents, as husbands and wives, as those that are not celebrating our goodness as humanity, but celebrating the good God that loves us even in our brokenness. Let's pray together. Father God, man, uh, sometimes we can't understand why you love us so much. We ask for your mercy and grace. And we know that we can trust in your steadfast love for us. Create in us a clean heart. Not just so that we can walk in righteousness. But our desire is to walk in faith. To make you truly the lover of our souls, Our savior. Our master. So that no matter what sacrifice we bring. It would be pleasing and accepted. I pray for some of us in this room, especially for maybe some of us struggling with our faith this morning. Maybe those that are having a hard time because they're going through a pivotal moment in their life, maybe a tough situation. God, remind them that you are there and that they can turn to you now because you are good. And you are faithful. And you are there for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross. And that now we can come in freedom. We love you. In your precious son's name we pray. Amen.